The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're talking to Marshall Crenshaw, songwriter, singer, performer, actor, writer. Marshall tells us about the best collard green recipe he's ever had, finding the best Indian food on the road, and Detroit-style pizza. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Couture, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. All right. Hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with uh, John Myers. Hey, hey, good morning. Got Bart Hansen. Ah, oh, here we go. I don't know uh, if you can get that. Sam, I, I wasn't really able to turn you up like normal. <laughs> right, like, oh, the pour. No, well, no. it is a virtual pour, so everybody will just have to take our word for it. And yeah. plug in a sound of a pour. <laughs> if we can get that little sound clip, that would be kind of cool. Canned. Canned, canned pour. You can do that now, canned wine. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, we got Paul Mabry back in the house, who, uh, those of you that listened to the podcast, um, last time we visited with him, we went over to Napa and, and we're in his office, but we thought it'd be fun to have him back. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things that Paul does um, in his professional life, I think if people, what, what are you doing, John? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm not doing anything, man. <laughs> Okay. I'm not doing somebody anything. Doing, somebody doing dishes in your household or something? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Paul, I, I was just looking over a lot of your information last night and thinking to myself that if, if people have been following your advice over the last year or two, um, they would have been in a, in a pretty good position going into this um, as far as having information um, on their wine club members and, and their business um, going forward. Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. Um, yeah, I feel uh, sadly prophetic in these right. times. You know, um, it, it's it. It sometimes it's uh, good to be right, but it doesn't feel that good to be right in this piece. You know, so. But yeah. Yeah, tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, I'm I'm busier than. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, he's looking for pores. I see. I see. Uh, the old was... get the old radio guy going, and all of a sudden YouTube in and. Spotify and what can all I say? Right. That, right. that was amazing. Oh, you know what, John? That's this is this is not drive time or the boing oing 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 oing. oing. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no more drive time radio. There's nowhere to drive to. Jesus Christ, John. <laughs> that was oh, awesome. God. <laughs> uh, uh, I need to have a drink now. Obviously. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Ah. No, it's been a, a lot of um, uh, working with wineries. I'm working 10 times as hard as I've ever worked, actually, to be honest with you. So um, we, all of our clients, um, helping them slice and dice their data, you know, because we do data and, and make sure that we can help them sell more wine and keep going past this, I would say, this short pier. And then um, we're doing a ton of pro bono work, actually, to be honest with you. So we're taking huh. on lots of wineries and helping them if they need help to put their data into our system, slice and dice it, and uh, help them also make more sales so we can keep 
another employee employed for a little longer or a winery hitting its sales goals. Um, it's the right thing to do. I mean, we're, we're parts of this community. We want to see our friends and our neighbors, you know, succeed despite these challenging times. So. Well, it seems like a good time for training too. You know, I, I was on, um, I was on zoom last week with, uh, some of my reps from Young's market and just talking about getting some of the, some of the servers on some zoom, um, tastings and trainings. And, um, I mean, what else are people doing right now? You don't have your tasting room open. You don't have your restaurant open. Um, you know, got some free time on your hands, might as well sit in front of a computer and actually learn something. Yeah, we're seeing I'm a lot of- I'm oh, literally cool. reaching for my phone and texting my brand manager at the distributor in New York, go question mark, Zoom virtual tastings. I think it's a great idea. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, it's everyone's doing the virtual tasting. So it's kind of like, it was a good idea a few weeks ago and now it's like everyone's doing it. So it's super challenging. Uh, I don't know the answer to this question. I think one of the things that happens in the wine industry right now is as, as fast as the good ideas come out, they metastasize through the entire industry and everyone's doing the same thing over and over again. So, yeah. 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 I think, you know, I think it depends on the specific winery. I think if you have a good following kind of like a core base of hardcore, um, sure. um, uh, drinkers and, and, um, wine club members, I think they're appreciative of you wanting to reach out and actually connect with them. Um, you know, I, let me ask you a question about that. Do you, how many wine clubs are you part of or how many are you a member of? Me personally? Yeah. Uh, I am, was, yeah, was, was three, uh, but one's not even a wine club. One is Hanson's uh, Distillery. Uh, okay. yeah. The one, uh, the one that we're active in is Gloria Ferrer because uh, mm -hmm. my wife drinks more Blanc de Noir than anyone else on the planet. And, um, <laughs> uh, and then I was in the, um, <laughs> Um, in Sondra Bernstein. Oh, by the way, uh, Sondra says hi. She she knew that we were oh, yeah. coming on with you and said say hello to you. Um, Love Sondra. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah, we were all a part of her wine club, um, but that that is dissolving. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that's it. So I I was three now down to one. Which one did did you drop Hansons? Uh, sorry. Well, no, but I I mean I don't think it's really a wine club. I guess. Yeah. Blues club. I, you know, Paul, to go to your question, I mean, I, I'm not, the majority of the wine clubs that I'm a member of are um, are store-based, mm -hmm. um, not winery-based, um, right. but I follow a whole bunch of them and whatnot, and, and you're right, everybody's doing a virtual tasting, including Sam and I. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know if you know, the, we're doing a group wine tasting, Sam and I, with Brian hosting, cool. and John will be there also. Um, which we kind of went through and kind of scrambled to get done as quickly as possible. And we watched all these other people just, you know, start theirs immediately. Right. And applause to them all. Yeah. Um, I think sure. we're excited because we're bringing um, customers, you know, it's from two different mailing lists. Granted, there's, there's people that are fans of the podcast that maybe know both of us. Right. Or both of our wines. But, um, but there's also people that, you know, uh, that have signed up from my side that have never tried Sam's wines. And uh, pretty cool. That's a great cross pollination. In fact, I've said that even on Twitter, I said the collaboration between multiple winemakers is more exciting to me than, you know, one single one going, cause we are competing against each other's time to be honest with you. And that's, even though it seems like we have unlimited time, it's, Seem the days seem to go by pretty fast. Yeah. Right. Um, totally. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's a really challenging time for, you know, you guys are trying to generate 
near-term revenue right now during these when your tasting room is down and at the same time trying to build up muscle memory and infrastructure to support when you know october november and december come which is the important part i think and that's a weird balancing act to do um i think that as i'm watching a lot of winery really tapping out their resources pretty fast and doing those quick tactical things you know the the virtual tastings being a good one i'm glad everyone jumped on it but like What's after that? How long can you sustain that? Or all the wineries that are e hitting their email list and they're saying, look, look buy wines to sustain us. That email list is this big. You know, the cliff is coming. So you see this big spike in winery sales. Can they sustain that over, you know, two months or three months by just beating that same list? Or how do they develop better programs around that? So um, interesting questions. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about the virtual tastings, um, you know, obviously people need things to do right now. Um, and they also, you know, certainly I know I'm feeling like the need to socialize. I'm a very social person. I like to hang right. out. I get, I get personal energy from that. Um, so the ones that, you know, we have this great one going with the podcast is going to be 40 people on it. Plus it's going to be a party. Um, right. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing some other ones with family members who are who are you know quarantined in different states different cities even just like different parts of their own towns right. um and other like groups that have um come to the tasting room you know on an annual basis can't mm -hmm. do it this year are going to come together with you know five or six people you know in the same sort of way all over the country that's um, cool i feel like that piece of it the this is a way to socialize over over our brands, but that's almost even like secondary to just like the occasion. Right. Um, has staying power past this time because it's not always possible for people to get, you know, to all show up in Sonoma or Napa at the same time every year. But um, this is something, I, you know, I, I don't, for at least for 16600, I don't want these to go away the moment we're allowed to like right. hug each other in public again. Um, I'll give you so a big bear I, hug, brother. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm feeling like the hug needs. Um, it's like everything about the disaster Burning Man prepares you for, except for not being able to, you know, hug friends when you see them in the street. Uh, but I, I don't know, I, you know, so clearly, but clearly this whole platform or this whole sort of concept needs refining, right, for it to have staying power. Well, I think that you hit on the most important part. I think that when we all talked together last time, we talked about the, the brittleness of the tasting room model and that we need to get more digital and we need to get back into people's homes. And this is the strangest catalyst. I think if I looked at my bingo card, a pandemic was not on it, but um, you know, it seems to have worked out and it's forcing us to look at e-commerce. It's forcing us to look at social media. It's forcing us to look at Zoom meetings. I mean, did you any of you use Zoom before? <laughs> the pandemic? No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. In in business, but it's interesting. Sam, you're going to and and Bart, you're giving people a vacation in Sonoma. You're going to be out in the field. You're going to be talking to them. It's so personal. It's just not your normal stand up. Uh, you know, get a ounce of uh, wine to taste and and to have somebody come back by five minutes later. No, this is all new, and what you're doing is very cool. I think going to the field is the number one thing. Well, I think one other thing that Sam and I are doing that we didn't talk about is one of my customers, shout out to Rob Wildman, um, is that he's using this as an opportunity to do a team building 
with some of his employees and sales reps. Nice. So, so he's bought the wines from both of us. We're doing a separate meeting for him and, and he's going to use that as time that they're not spending together. So I think that's great. And then just another quick note is that one thing for sure is given all the free time I've had, it's, it's allowed me to actually sit down in front of my computer and work on my mailing list and, you know, send emails to people who have bought wine in the past mm -hmm. that maybe I haven't touched base with. And unfortunately, yes, it's for this reason, but it's more of just to, you know, check in with them and just wish them and their families well. Um, nice. So, you know, it, it's, it's just like everybody else is doing it, but at least I've done it at this point. And hopefully that opens up more, um, a, a better relationship with them. Look, I think um, I, I've been saying this a lot. Retention is the new acquisition. You know, it's something that we, we haven't spent a lot of time in the wine industry looking at because we get this wonderful, um, you know, avalanche of tourists that come every year, right? We have a net new customer kind of mentality, but now we get to think about how we treat our customers differently that come to our winery or come to our email or come to our website. How do we spend more time with them, care about them more, honestly, because we have to. We should have done it anyways, but we have to now really in a meaningful way. You guys are special that way. You guys care about them. You guys are already doing like really niche cool stuff, but that's not universal in our industry as you guys know. Yeah, right. that's it, true. It, it has been interesting to see a lot of the large wineries and I only see this through social media, but see them jump on this and um, uh, it, you know, I, I, I'm curious what they actually feel about it after they've done that and 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 how are they i mean i think we're actually making headway you kind of wonder if you know how much headway they make when they have a facebook live or an instagram live and there's you know hundreds of people on it um i think it varies i think you know um each one of them depending on the person i mean you guys are both big personalities you guys are both the hearts of your brand so people want to connect with you yeah Sometimes that's true with some of the bigger wineries as well, but other ones are doing really amazing, like um, true, you know, A-B testing, experimental design, all kinds of different stuff. I mean, the Wenties are, have the Wenty girls online. They're doing their great tasting on Instagram pretty frequently. It's pretty, pretty well liked. So I think cool. that's a success. That's good. How, do, how are they doing yeah. that? Paul, Paul, how are they, how are they doing that on Instagram? Uh, they do like an Instagram live thing. They do these short stories and they do a bunch okay. of different things. So I, I, I've only watched um, a couple of their videos on this piece, but I, it's, it's pretty incredible how well they're doing the email marketing, tying it in together, kind of weaving it through social. Um, you know, the last one I saw them doing was a cooking thing in the kitchen. Um, who else did something like that? There was a Spanish uh, one winery that did something pretty amazing on Facebook live as well. They're just really testing these different platforms to see where the audience responds because we don't know, actually, we don't actually know. No one's ever done this before. It's just cool, right? That was gonna be my. That was gonna be my question. You know, what platforms do you think sort of are built for success in this? You know, what are some of the the pitfalls of you know Zoom, Instagram Live, Facebook Live, Skype, Facetime, like all the different ways that we have of of connecting now in this virtual face to face, um, or you know, at least some sort of interactive way what do you think, you know, some of the strengths and weaknesses are of them? Yeah, I think they're all valid communication channels, to be honest with you. They've all been, they've been valid for a long time and they have different use cases, each one of them. And I mean, whether you're doing a tweet up in a Twitter live and you're all having a conversation on Twitter, I've seen this one where they're doing, um, uh, you pass on the bottle you're drinking to the next person, you tag five people, it just keeps rolling through Twitter. I mean, each one has its own 
advantages, um, but you have to have the muscle memory and the, the understanding of the language and the use uh, to make it work, right? So someone who uses Instagram a lot, who has pictures or maybe does those little short stories or, you know, um, it doesn't work the same as Twitter, right? You know, which is a very different platform. It's hard. I, I, I don't think that there's a perfect example because each one of these has clusters of people they use as their communication device. My, I personally don't use Instagram that much. I like it. It's interesting, but it, I'm a big Twitter guy, right? That's where I spend most of my social media time. So, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, putting a, having a face for the brand too, um, especially you, Sam, you know, people come and meet you at the tasting house and they've got that face to put on the wine when, um, when they're drinking it. So, for you, it's more like I, I could see people even coming on to watch you cook a meal in your kitchen. You know what I mean? And, and they, would, they would enjoy spending a half an hour, 45 minutes watching you cook braised short ribs and talking about your wine. I agree. Uh, but, but if someone like Duckhorn comes on and, and you know, they were, they're in a, in a commercial kitchen space or doing something like that, I mean, I don't know that it's the same sort of connection. Yeah, I think it's really interesting if you look at what – um, the Glen Ellen star has been doing, um, Ari's been, uh, having his daughters and they're doing the kids cooking network. And every few days they go through a menu yeah. and it gets huge followings for it. And it's genuine and it's personal. And, uh, you got to yeah. think that's helping him build, you know, his brand in a time when he shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, to be honest with you, let's just say it was duck on with the commercial kitchen. There's an audience that wants to see that just as right. well. I mean, they're all, they, I, you know, different strokes for different folks, as they say, right? We're all yeah. watching, some of us are watching Tiger King on Netflix. Other people are watching, you know, Sam Cook Ray Short Ribs. I don't know. <laughs> I'm <laughs> or thinking duck breast. I'm thinking like some of that Liberty Duck, you know, talk to, duck, talk to the duck daughter. By the way, have you guys seen Tiger King yet? My God. I have not. I can't I've do it. I've heard about it. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it true that, at, I, I haven't seen it, but uh, I was listening to, um, um, Joe Rogan the other night um, and he was talking about it. It's, is it this guy actually does crystal meth and has like two husbands that live in the house with him or something this is a real deal it's layers upon layers of crazy it just gets okay. crazier and the layers get crazier and you're like that can't get any crazier and then it gets crazier so it's pretty <laughs> I mean just the fact that some guy had 3,000 tigers you know <laughs> you know where does he live uh, currently in prison in Texas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I was I was gonna guess Texas because I know that um, Texas has more tigers in captivity than there are tigers in the wild. Yeah, I think it was in the Oklahoma though originally or something like. That. I don't know the exact oh. place, but it was something. <laughs> it was pretty wacky. So and there was people in Florida, another lady in Florida, and then another guy in another state. So talk about talk about timing though, and, and with all of these things, literally. Tiger King lands any other time except for when people are literally like cooped up like caged animals in their own houses all over the country. Do you think it has? I mean, there's so much point being there's so much of this like digital existence. Yeah, that is about the luck of like when it lands sure. in people's laps, right? I agree 100%. You should do Wine King, though. I think that would be a Wine great way. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Just like a parody of it. It would be amazing. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, because we could do a version of that uh, that's reality TV here in Sonoma. You know, <laughs> Cavedale King, I think. <laughs> I like that. No, it's, a, it's an interesting time. I think, um, as I said, I think, you know, this is um, 
unfortunately a challenging piece, but it's going to be healthy for us long-term because it's forced us to look at channels that we haven't paid attention to in a yeah. meaningful way. You know, social and, media, you guys have been big on social media for a long time. You guys have been big on understanding digital, but you know, spending time actually really focusing on it and building infrastructure so you can do it in perpetuity is fascinating. Well, and I, I don't know if we're going to need, you know, we're going to need these same skills come October again this year. Um, you know, if we're already kind of behind the eight ball with people not planning their trips here. And then if, if, if we get a hot summer and sparks more wildfires, then this might be what we're doing, you know, for harvest. It should have been what we're doing anyways. I mean, we saw fires blackouts already, you know. Yeah. Next thing, that's, zombie apocalypse. I mean, that's... <laughs> zombies drink wine? What goes with brain? I'm not sure. We need, we need Hawk Waka Waka. I'm sure she's got a brain wine recipe pairing. That she can get. <laughs> gotta, gotta be a Chardonnay. And moose. Moose. Moose brain. No, moose brain's the best, though. I mean, you know. Ouch. The Ace of Tacos are pretty good. That's true. Tacos are good. But that's... Yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, a little lingua. different part of the brain. Yeah, yeah exactly. The head. Exactly. Now, how are you guys holding up through this whole thing? Your family's okay? <laughs> I'm very well practiced. I I have uh, been hunkering down in my house since last August with a giant operation on my hip. So I'm well practiced. Okay. Right as I was getting out and starting to get back to life. Nah, you know, this hit. So, but we're pretty practiced. We're all okay. We've got good wine. We've got good food so far. I mean, everything from the farmer's market to Sonoma market. Uh, I know Joan has to go to three different grocery stores to get a normal load. And then you take what they have, not what you want. Exactly. But we did find cassoulet beans from uh, Rancho Gordo, which is really amazing. Wait, how did, wait, how did that happen? Because I was I was talking to the girls from Miracle Plum last week, and the only thing that they're able to order from Rancho Gordo right now is garbanzo beans. Well, she found two at Sonoma Market and bought them both. Wow, backstock. I hate to be hoarding beans, but <laughs> right. you know. a bean hoarder. That's, you know. <laughs> yeah, Paul, I mean, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's another guy that has that has definitely done well. Um, over the last month, he, you know, Steve Sando from Rancho Gordo, he basically has nothing left. All his beans were purchased. For some reason, the dried goods, people just kind of latched on to uh, uh, in the stores and and um, on the web. So it's like a nation of why, like everybody became preppers, right? You know, you had beans and toilet paper, which is probably a pretty good combination. And cleaning materials too. And cle- right. right, yeah, you couldn't buy, the, the crazy thing uh, is the, the flour. Everybody, home, like everybody, <laughs> all the home bakers, everybody's making sourdough bread in a Dutch oven and they're, I'm gluten free. So I'm just watching this on social media going, wow, that looks like something that is really delicious that I'll never have. Uh, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, um, and then everybody is also putting it on social media that they're making the bread because they ain't got shit else to do, I guess. I don't know. Well, I posted a picture of my dishwasher this morning. I saw that. <laughs> I mean. I'm I'm praising my dishwasher because it's working its ass off right now. Oh my god! <laughs> my nemesis. So we're we're at home with four kids, so you can imagine the right. dishes we go through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, what are what about you, Paul? Um, yeah. What, what's been going on with you? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little. Um, we have a big house, so we have four children and a pair that live here. So it's seven people in the house plus a dog. So finding a moment to get a quiet time, like I've locked the door. I'm in the bedroom, making sure that I can do this uh, a podcast with you guys. But um, and then we're just crazy busy. I mean, but Napa's the same as everywhere else. It's you know out of every single thing we there's nowhere to get eggs right now. That's a weird one. Yeah, but the dry goods. Uh, Bella Cheese in Sonoma is selling the eggs of a from a ranch called uh, Sky Clouds. I can't remember. Uh, Silver Sky Ranch in in like out in Two Rock, Petaluma, and this okay. is one of the places that um, is you know was normally sold all their goods to. Uh, restaurant distributors. It was okay. an, you know, entirely a, a wholesale ranch, beef okay. and eggs, and you know That's some other stuff. Um, they're selling the beef at our little like makeshift uh, CSA farmers market. We're doing a baker and cook, but they okay. put the eggs. I think the guy who runs it is his girlfriend is is one of the Vela family. Um, okay, so they're selling his eggs, so you can get eggs and cheese. And, you know, they have cured meats and stuff there, too. Uh, and it's, like, one person at a time at the shop, that little, like, old stone building on um, on 2nd Street East, right off the plaza in Sonoma. Oh, man, I have to put a mask on and go get some eggs. Then. Oh, yeah, no, definitely yeah. it's, um, you know, and that's uh, the thing, and maybe we can all talk to this a little bit, is the, the thing that is the most resilient um, in these you know, sort of like shut down the economy. The economy that's still resilient is the the local food economy. You know, there's all these, especially here in Northern California, there's all these producers who sold into the restaurant market, but now with the restaurants gone, um, they have all this stuff available. You know, there's way more, uh, you know, way higher quality, better freshness and ways of getting it that don't mean, you know, putting on two masks and walking down you know, up the up the wrong way in our now one way shopping uh, yes. grocery miles. store aisles. I, <laughs> I'm not I'm not very good at like one way streets. Uh, <laughs> the one way aisles. <laughs> I'm like I'm out. Uh, but that's you know that's I don't know what's you know uh, what's available Napa side, but there's definitely things happening sort of in this local. I, I hesitate to call it underground, but sort of underground mm -hmm. food economy here. We've seen a lot of delivery transfer. I mean, there's so many great restaurants here in Napa. I mean, Michelin star restaurants in such a small proximity. So like we've had more Thomas Keller chicken and, and stuff than I've ever ordered in my life. And then, um, you know, Compline, I don't know if you know those guys, the Compline guys, they're actually making a meals uh, that are sponsored by people for 20 bucks for all the first responders. So that's how they're staying in business. So they're keeping the food chain going by buying still from the farmers, right. keeping some of their staff employed. And you pay 20 bucks and you buy a nurse, a doctor, a fireman, a lunch that day. And they're doing like 110 lunches a day. It's pretty amazing. Wow. That's really an awesome idea. Really yeah. good. Yeah. I'm a big fan. So we, we sponsored a bunch of those. But like, I'm super pleased to see them trying to keep their people going and the food supply, right? As you know, because a lot of these farmers are used to selling wholesale to the restaurants. When the restaurants are gone, what do they do with it? They have to still keep their people employed as well. So. Yeah, you know, Sandra shut down the girl in the fig. She, um, th they were doing pickup for about a week, and and then sh she just is in a real quandary about having people work. Um, you know, yesterday we had on Annette White, who owns Sugo Trotteria in Petaluma, and and she's still continuing to to do um, uh, meal pickups because she's got some employees that 
would not make as much money if they were collecting unemployment. And so they're basically staying open for them. I, you know, I think they're breaking even, I, I don't, I don't think they're making a lot of money. Sure. Um, but Sandra's take on it was she just doesn't feel comfortable putting people to work right now and having people in a, in a close proximity. She just feels, you know, how she is, she feels very responsible for people's well being, and, and if there's something about it that just doesn't feel right to her. She's such a good person. I think that, that you'll see a lot of that coming out is who took care of their neighbors, who took care of their employees, who took care of themselves to make sure that they, you know, who was selfish, who profited off of this, who actually, you know, invested in other people and time. It's going to be a good, good litmus test. Yeah. Well, you doing pro bono work. Does that, um, where do you I mean, sign up? Co- uh, co- <laughs> collaboration, not competition. I know is, is, is a big thing. Um, but it, but I would think that more data helps you in the long run anyway of, of you know, seeing what other people are doing. Um, I don't know that it really gives a big difference for us for what we're doing in this piece. I mean, for the way the software slices it, it would make Sam's winery or, you know, Bart's, it would right size it to their winery size. And since we don't really cross the Chinese firewall by mixing and blending people's data, it's really kind of going through their lens and so, you know, who's most likely going to buy, who's not going to buy, who's in trouble, sorting them into different lists so they can say, oh man, I never knew this person was a really big buyer. Um, you know, I didn't look at, I only looked at them through wine club lens or these different wine club tiers. I never thought of them as a, a regular customer. Or I thought all these wine club members were special, but really only, most of them are just taking their shipment. But here's six of them that are like really up and above and beyond that, that I should be picking up the phone and saying, how can I help you right now? Or, you know, so there's a lot of, um, also, the data is retreading a lot of employees, so we're doing a lot of stuff where they're like writing handwritten cards to their top customers. So they keep yeah. those winery employees. Um, they're using them for data hygiene, so they've got employees calling and saying, "I want to see the whole list of who everyone who doesn't have a telephone number. Let's email them one by one. Everyone who doesn't have um, an email address, let's get on the phone and call them." You know, there's lots of different cycles of how they're using those lists to you know, retread the employees to do different things. Let's talk to these people on social media. Let's put them and see if we can match their social identities and group our best customers. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff I think happening um, yeah. for using the data that they have. And then the really smart wineries are, you know, the really advanced digital ones are building lookalike audiences, trying different campaigns in different markets to see like, what happens if I do a shipping discount in, in Boston? How does that affect sales? Okay, it worked well. Let's throw that one into New York City. So they're doing a lots of different testing because that, that, that spreads out the time that you have than just hitting the list one big blast and then your sales are gone and how many more sales can you get from that list? It's, it's a small thing. So the smartest wineries are planning it out and spreading it out over time, using their employees to add value to that list so that when they come out on the other end, that list is clean. It's ready to go. The customers feel loved. I mean, those are basic tenets of retention anyways, but it's a way to use employees in new, interesting ways, um, you know, against the, the stuff that we do. Uh, what, that, that was an article that you just put out there, right, that you're speaking from. Could you uh, reference that and uh, maybe so people can see that? Yeah, so we put a blog. Actually, we had our customers. Uh, it, this was a real fire drill. I'm going to really be honest with you. As we started to see things close down, when Gavin, you know, closed down the tasting rooms, all of our wineries are like, Paul, what can we do to help employees stay employed? What can we do? Can we? And so we got together a large group of people in, in the wine industry, Felicity Carter, a huge group, and they put in all these ideas and we coalesced them into different themes. And then we put up the blog post, I think yesterday, 
Yeah. Uh, but we'd sent it to our customers quite a few days ago. Um, you know, and it's about just hopefully it'll spark some ideas because that's our goal is, look, I live in Napa. I, I, you guys are in Sonoma. I mean, we're all of our friends, all of our neighbors are in wine in some way or another or dependent on the wine industry or in the hospitality industry that feeds the wine industry. So it's this very symbiotic relationship. So whatever we can do to help, that's, that's, our, that's our goal. Yeah, so to your point, there's a lot of different thoughts and processes and retraining people, using data, using e-commerce, even stuff like social media. We've asked, you know, hey, find out what your employees are good at photographs. Send them out into the vineyards. It's safe. It's, it's okay. They're not going to, you know, get infected and go have them take pictures. Or who's a good writer? Have them start writing blog posts or their journal of COVID. Some of the more creative ones we've seen, you know, like um, – employee led, um, you know, kind of like book clubs or something like that. They put together whatever their passion is, you know, so that they can interact with the club members and say, okay, who likes comic books? Who likes, you know, a horror movie? Let's do a horror movie night together. I mean, whatever it is using those strengths that they have um, so that they can keep people employed. You know, other wineries, um, I think the less good actors just cut their people, you know? I think there was a lot of that. I I think there was a lot of people sort of knee jerk, uh, you know, not knowing what the future looked like on what it's basically a month ago as this podcast was landing or, you know, a couple of days later that the, the decree from the governor said, close your tasting rooms. I think a lot of people just cut everybody loose because they didn't know any other way to, to react. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that instinct for sure to keep, survival but i mean i've seen more good actors than i've seen bad actors out there and i've also seen a lot more success as the people leaned into digital in a really meaningful way i mean i know a couple wineries that are big wineries um with large tasting room staff that kept everyone on staff let's call it 30 40 people and beat their tasting room goals using digital sales that's pretty amazing so what it's it also it's become an awakening honestly because no one's ever invested in this channel and suddenly now you're able to sell to it. And it, it comes as no surprise to some of us. I mean, shit, we buy, sorry, you know, we buy stuff online all the time. Why couldn't we buy wine? We should be leaning into that capacity. And to your point earlier, Sam, not everyone can come to Napa or Sonoma on a regular basis. It's an expensive endeavor. Um, I just wrote a blog post like comparing Sonoma, Napa, Paso Robles. Um, and it's not that different in price point that much, but it's expensive for someone to come once a year for, three days for seven days. It, it, it adds up really quick. Yeah. Well, Sam, oh, yeah, you, you have a, sorry, sorry, John. I, I was just, come, go ahead, John. You can come out here and spend an awful lot of money in a very short time, Paul, seriously. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. I mean, there's no reason that Sam can't do this every day. Your comment about <laughs> surpassing, <laughs> surpassing your tasting room sales goals online that's an incredible statement it really is it's it's it shouldn't even be a surprise to some people i mean when you invest in it you have the right infrastructure and you have good e-commerce and you have good customer support it, it shouldn't be a surprise i mean the, the taste room model is such a great model to convert someone to customer but it's such an inefficient model to collect people right just asking someone to get across on a plane and come across the country to come here so that we can sell them wine when they go back home is a really crazy model. Yeah, when you put it that way, it does sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and Sam, I was I was at the tasting house yesterday picking up the the wines for the virtual, and and it looks like Jasmine is pretty much um, leading the charge for you guys. I mean, she's she's hunkered down on a on a laptop, and she's get she's cleaning up all of your wine club info, um, and and um, getting those um, spring shipments out. Which thank God it was time to do spring shipments too, because there's some cash yeah. flow coming in. Well, I mean, and that's you know. We're, we're fortunate in that um, we basically have three separate spaces. Um, so I have, you know, I have people packing boxes and, and you know, sort of dealing with inventory in one area. Paul has an office and basically changed the entire tasting house into Jasmine and Ian's personal wine club fulfillment center. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they live together so they can work together in the same, in the same little house. Um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna break up that that engagement. Yeah, yeah either it's, you know <laughs> trial by fire, trial by fire. Right. Right. Baby, ba- babies or divorce are happening, right? <laughs> oh, but only first babies. Nobody's having a new baby. They're like, oh yeah, that's this is great with my one year old running around. Let's have another one right away. Um, yeah. But I mean, in some ways, uh, this is the best time for us. We've never been able to put this much focus on just our wine club fulfillment and, and digital sales channel. Um, you know, we have, we have no customers coming in, you know, there's no glasses to polish. Uh, you know, the, the, when the phone rings, it's because somebody wants to update their address or their credit card or add on to their, to their shipment. Um, I mean, it's, it's been, um, for the, from that regard it's been awesome for a few reasons one you know we're we're making up for the shortfall in, in tasting room for sure i don't know for meat pat you know surpassing it but it's definitely sort of softening that blow um, and you know obviously you know there's a keeping people employed and in fact have hired more you know temp to help you know fulfill this club um you know people who are restaurant employees out of work um they're you know, hungry and looking for something to do. Good uh, on you. But the response, you know, I just sent out an email yesterday um, to our entire club list. Um, just as we're trying to go through this, there's so many people whose who, their address, their normal shipping address is no isn't current valid for this shipment because it's, it's business. You know, it's a business. We spent the last five years convincing people to ship to their businesses because it <laughs> saved us five dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, send it to your it's way better. Um so we have to call those and then there's people who you know aren't who aren't holed up in their normal homes. They're they're somewhere else or at a second home or friends or whatever. Um so I sent out an email just saying hey no matter what the situation is please confirm your shipping address for this order and it was like I, I usually get really pretty with my emails and I put in photos and I spend you know three days working on them. this one I like cranked out yesterday afternoon um, the flood of response is, is just like it, it's I've never been able to you know make a digital touch to this many customers you know at, at once and get this kind of engagement um, and the flood of you know we're so right now I'm here podcasting with you guys. Jasmine and Paul are going through like 600 emails that came into our inbox. Um, right. But which, which is awesome. It's, it's like the greatest, it's again, it's a great problem to have um, in general engagement. And I don't know if you saw this with the emails that we sent out last week, Bart. Um, people are reading these emails 
at and opening them at, at a rate that I've you know never seen before. Yeah, um, way above the quote unquote in your industry standard. Yeah, whatever that means. Right? Yeah, right, right. And is that because they just because they're home and you know they have more time? Probably, you know. Um, I, I I don't I don't know. We'll 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 see. We'll see. I think home and work are kind of blending together a lot more than they used to. How's that for sure as well? You know, you're on your computer a lot more. You're on your phone a lot more. Yeah. You know, I, I I saw an interesting post yesterday from a winery who um, it was going through the struggle, and they kind of voiced this out there for it wasn't even like to a winery group. It was just out there about how they you know were in distribution and they had expanded their production due to the distribution growing. And now the distribution is completely shut down sure. and, um, and, and what are they going to do? And, you know, they're going to cancel grapes and, you know, they don't even think they can afford to bottle what they had, you know, had decided to from, you know, picking up new distributors. And um, myself, I don't have any distribution. I went through this, you know, since I started it, should I find a little broker? Should I, you know, should I move into that? And because I'm just slow to react sometimes, I never did that. And I'm very happy now that I don't have to deal with that. But I'm just wondering, you know, what, what are, Sam, what are your thoughts in this? I and mean, you have a couple brokers and stuff. And, and Paul, what are you hearing from? And again, this is from smaller guys. I know that you deal with larger guys, but just any thoughts on that? I have not gotten a new, any new purchase orders in the last, you know, 45 days or so. Yeah, um, you know, certainly in the last month, um, you know, for us it was, you know, less than fifteen percent of of revenue. You know, maybe more than that on the volume side, um, but you know, because I don't charge my distributors enough. Um, hopefully, they're not listening. Um, <laughs> but you know, so I, again, I sort of in the same boat that you are, Bart, with this, you know, feeling so so fortunate that um you know so much of our business is is reliant on on consumers um that you know allows us you know again you know we feel a pinch from this which you know everybody's going to um it, that piece of it isn't you know as sort of hard to hard to storm the weather um but you know i from the from the farming side yeah you know there's been Already, uh, you know, half a dozen wineries that we've heard from that are taking less grapes in 2020. Um, so one winery, you know, small, a small producer, but I, I guess they rely on um, on the, you know, the the three tier system a lot. Uh, said they're literally not going to make wine in 2020. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have the they have the wow. to skip a vintage, um, and you know, these are these are big names all over Sonoma and Napa County. So, um, you know, there's definitely on top of which, you know, we went into this talking about how there was too much, too many grapes planted and too much wine being made in the last couple of years. Um, so I think that there's going to be, you know, how many vineyards have you seen in Sonoma Valley? And I don't know, maybe it's not, doesn't happen as much in Napa, Paul, but, um, that are still unpruned. Uh, yeah. Those vineyards are never; those aren't going to get pruned this year. They're going to let that, you know, they're cutting expenses in that vineyard because they don't have anywhere to sell the fruit. So I think that that's going to be, um, you know, harvest twenty twenty will be very interesting. There's going to be a lot of deals to be had on a lot of grapes out there 
I think, yeah, we're going to see a, a pretty big change in the industry from this as well. I think you're, I think that one thing that really speaks to you is uh, that diversification of our, of our revenue streams, right? So DTC should not only be tasting room, it should be wine club and e-com and telemarketing that, that, that diversity gives us the sustainability we need. If we're a winery and we're selling three tier, we should also put some DTC in there to, to manage that. And we should also have some export in there, you know, and, you know, maybe even a second label if we want to offload juice at a lower price without doing some brand, you know, hurting brand integrity. Um, there's a lot of that that we haven't built that infrastructure up because we've been so mono-focused or so lucky until this, this, like I said, this pandemic is not something any of us could have lived with. Yes. Hey, Sam, have you ever seen anyone skip a vintage before? For any reason? You know, I, I, I have skipped... Yeah. I have skipped vintages for particular wines. I've never not made wine, but like I, I've had the ability that there's been vintages where I've, I can just see that I have enough and I've asked the grower to, you know, to not buy for a year. And I buy small enough amounts that they've always come back and have good enough relationships that they've been able to do it. But um, I, I don't really know, sorry, Sam, but I don't really know of many places that just completely uh, skip a vintage. You know, my... I haven't, I've never seen anything like that. Um, you know, this is somebody who's a, who's a, a consulting winemaker at a lot of places. Um, so it's not like there won't be making wine. They're just not going to make their personal label. Um, but I, you know, to me, True. That's just the, that's the, um, you know, the first sign of a winery that isn't going to come back on the other side of this. Um, I mean, that's, that's would be my, that would be, you know, my sort of morbid assumption on it is, you know, places that um, didn't feel like, you know, don't have any sort of uh, runway right now, whether it's winery, restaurants, um, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be a contraction on the other side of this, um, you know, not to be a downer right now, but that's, you know, there's going to be places that, that don't come back into some sort of normal business operation, you know, tasting rooms that don't open back up, restaurants that don't open back up because, you know, wherever they were at going into it was a, you know, was not a strong enough position to start with. Sam, do you ever think the rents will go down around the square in Sonoma? Look, I mean, there's, if you look around the plaza right now, there, there's a fair amount of vacancies. Uh, a lot. There's a lot of vacancies. Yeah. And, and, you know, come April 2021, how many more of those vacancies are there? How how long can those landlords, the fact is they've, they're all doing pretty good, how long can those landlords afford to keep those places vacant and ask the prices that they're asking? Um, and the flip side of that is how long can city government and county government in Sonoma, and I don't, you know, maybe it's the same in Napa, Paul, um, continue to be as slow to respond to permit applications and changes as they are making making it financially impossible or more difficult to to open something back up or to change a place from you know a, a shop to a restaurant or even restaurant to restaurant i mean look at you know our, our friends at Valier took them you know an extra three or four months um to be able to you know complete their construction so you know there's gonna have to be some s structural changes on that side if if things are gonna rebound the way that um you know to look like they looked um you know i don't want to say last year i want to say 
summer of 2017, before the fires, 20, 2016, when um, there wasn't vacancies on the plaza and every new tasting room was, you know, paying $6,000 a month for 700 square feet of... Uh, Isn't that crazy? Think of that pricing. God damn. Wow. <laughs> so let's look on the positive side. Yeah, let's, uh, yeah so, somebody so, spin that back, Sonny, because I'm, yeah, I'm so, so, yeah. going straight, skipping the coffee and going right to the reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of structural changes, of all the stuff that's happening, you know, there are some things that are probably some genies out of the bottle that are never going to come back that are positive. I think one of them is obviously wineries doing more digital and talking to customers in better ways and being more concerned about customers is one. Um, I think that retailers shipping across state lines and um, del alcohol delivery in general is a positive that came out. I mean, Drizzly's sales were up. You know, if you look at Vivino, Wink, Wine.com, all those guys are up in a big way. So what else do you guys see on the other side of this? Wow. Um, yeah. yeah I, you know, I don't know. Coming from a, you know, from a hotel, I'm struggling to find some positive things going forward because I'm, I'm looking at even when we return to work, I don't know what that looks like as far as, you know, I've had conversations with um, restaurant owners. We don't know if we're going to come back and, and we're going to be wearing masks. If initially when we come back that we're going to have to space tables um, immediately, we're not going to see um, tourists coming in because they would have planned trips ahead of time. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a slow roll. Um, and, and, and it's people like myself. I mean, do they really need a Psalm on the floor when you're doing 20 covers a night? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned. No. Okay. Yeah. But we, we didn't get we didn't get that positive spin on that. So. <laughs> I think that, um, you know I'm not. Hey, hey, how about this? How about this? I've got 60 cases of Roussan that I'm going to be selling uh, probably in you know three months or something. So uh, out of the trunk of your Mitsubishi. I, <laughs> no, but that's an interesting one. Restaurants selling retail has been a fast. That genie's out of the box. I mean, is that something that's going to be put back in after this whole ABC thing is over with? What do you think? You know, it, it is interesting. I mean, you, you see people, you know, I, I, I understand the taking bottles away. Um, I think that would be something good for restaurants to be able to keep doing. Um, I don't really quite get on board with the cocktail part of it just because they seem to be into go cups. Um, Can but, I get a straw with that, please? Right. By the way, I got some cocktail delivery. It was awesome, by the way. And this is three <laughs> servings, but it oh. came in one jar. So I was a little confused, just to be clear. So, right. <laughs> drink it three times. It takes three times as long to drink it, Paul. Exactly. Three times as fast. I don't know. And if I'm not mistaken, there are parts of the country where you can actually get to go cocktails at drive throughs Yes, yes, Louisiana for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wyoming too. Yeah. Same place as Tiger King's at, I'm sure. So. <laughs> but yeah, I heard a lot of restaurants in New York and San Francisco are actually treating the restaurants right now like bottle shops, uh, where they're and doing like, some discounts for people. And 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 I think that makes sense. I don't know that it makes sense for my restaurant, just being that we're on a on a pretty expansive property. I don't, you know, people coming in, valeting, um, walking in through the lobby into the restaurant. But I can see. You know, you know, people that are a lot of um, uh, pedestrian traffic. If you know, if you live in New York and you've got a restaurant that's in your neighborhood, and you know that they're wanting to get rid of some wine, and you can walk a, walk a block or two and, and pick up a couple of bottles, I think that's a good model. 
I mean, I like the idea right now of, of, of people being able to buy wine when they go get their food to go because they go less places. But I also don't want to take business out of the wine shops that have been supporting me all the time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it's both sides of it there. But who supports little brands like you more in, in your opinion? Would it be a wine shop or an on-premise facility? I mean, I, I almost feel like on-premise is much better for the small brands in some ways. It, it's it, gotta it, be BTG sales, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, BTG sales for sure. But, you know, you have, shout out to, you know, Todd Jolly, who, um, you know, the amount of wine of my wine that he sells out of there is, is pretty good for a little wine shop that has a tasting bar. Um, and, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, take want to take sales out of him from people going to, you know, a restaurant to buy a bottle. I, I don't think it's enough to make a difference, to be quite honest. But, you know, they, they, he sells quite a bit of wine. So. Sure. And sure. at a good margin, quite frankly. Probably a different behavioral thing, right? You know, convenience versus going into fine wine and be sold a couple bottles, right? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. From a behavioral standpoint, it's probably not going to make a difference to your brand or, you know, in that sense. Right. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, the girls at Miracle Plum are, are doing a fair amount of uh, wine sales and and I asked them, do you have the wines online? Because they've got, they pretty much a week ago got all of their products in their store on their website so that people could just order ahead of time and then show up and have it brought right out to the car. But the wines they had still not worked on and they said people are just calling and they saying, we're looking for a bottle of white in this price range. We're looking for a bottle of red in this price range and they're leaving yeah. it up to them. That's uh, cool. That's your is, dream, Ryan. What's that? That's your dream. Oh, are you kidding? I mean, that's basically what I do anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's just people are sitting down at a table when they do it. Right. You know, I listened to a podcast yesterday to, um, it's called The Long Finish, and it's the folks that own Esther's uh, Wine Bar down in Santa Monica. And they've made the change that they have food to go and they're selling, you know, wine retail. And, and um, she was saying how much pleasure she's getting from people calling and saying, you know, you helped me put together a half a case or a case of wine. And, yeah. uh, and that's been a saving grace for her, like mentally, um, right. and, and making her job a lot more fun. Um, so that, I think that's, that's a cool thing to hear. How about this one? Let me close out with that. I saw this, um, it was a TikTok, and this guy's walking down the neighborhood and looking at the recycle bins <laughs> of the houses. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's hilarious. And they're all full <laughs> with wine bottles. Um, uh, some had some whiskey and some other things in them, obviously. But uh, you know, we've always talked about how wine is like maybe slowing down or not appealing to the different generations or taking longer to be a, a what do you guys think? Maybe this is a good moment that, because I know my consumption's up for sure. So, so happy hour starts a little earlier every day with me. I'm not joking. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it depends on the, on the demographic, what people are, are drinking, you know, talking to the, to the reps from Young's, they're stocking a shit ton of Bogle um, in the stores. And that seems to be the number one seller. And then there's, you know, Sam was nice enough to pass off a couple bottles to me yesterday because um, I'm in the same boat as a daily wine drinker. I can't pay $35, dollars $60 a bottle for something sure. that I'm going to drink every day. Um, so it was nice last night. Thanks again, Sam, for a little Mayakama shard. Um, you didn't but, put those in your cellar and age them, Brian? What the fuck, man? <laughs> what are you talking about? I have no white wine in my cellar. It is all red wine because I don't drink it very often. White wine lasts literally six hours in my house. 
Same, same, same. Yeah. Amazing. I'll, I'll help you out on that red wine, Brian. John. <laughs> Anytime I'll, you want, buddy. All right. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> hey, Sam, have you know, something that was nice that happened to me was the, the Benzigers reached out and just wanted to send wine um, to my house. Um, That's nice. Just because they know that I'm a, you know, that I'm a buyer for their brand. So I was, you know, just thinking maybe shooting out a couple bottles to your uh, reps in New York. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. You know, I I've, I heard from a lot of restaurants that, you know, just getting a call saying, how are you doing? Just like we're doing with the consumers or retailers yeah. is the same thing. I mean, again, it's going back to that customer retention and actually caring about our customers. We forget that the retailers and restaurants are our customers. We, we look at the wholesale lens of the broker so much generally. Not small brands like yourselves, but, you know. Even a middle-sized brands, like it's not the same. They're they're trying to get the volumetrics up as opposed to each customer's adding value. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I had a crazy idea last night for you, Sam. I was thinking, I, I don't know if you can actually do this. If you can send people wine for free, or you have to make them pay shipping or something. But it's just to take one wine that you have, um, you know, that that you've done, say, 150 cases of, and say I'm going to set a set aside 30 cases. And I'm just going to send my best customers one or two bottles of those and just tell them all I want them to do is pay shipping just, just to give them wine. And I don't know what the payback would be, but I'm thinking if someone did that for me, I would probably, <laughs> I would, I would probably buy more wine from them. Right. I mean, you know, the thing that we've always done for our, our members is we pay ground shipping um, no matter right. what, whether it's their, 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 you know, twice an annual six pack, or if they need re ups, or they want to send a bottle to a cousin in Milwaukee, um, we pay we pay ground shipping for our members. So, I mean, I, I have thought about doing some kind of you know, not, not clear out isn't the right word, but find something that I I'm long in and just send yeah. out the bottles to people. Um, you know, I've definitely been throwing in things here and there for the you know members that have been around for a long time for sure. Um, but yeah, that's a you know, Brian, I'll uh, I'll put you on packing all those one super annoying one bottle boxes and uh, I'll give you a pile of mailing labels. You need to, you know, put uh, put Abby in the triplets on it. It's it's pile <laughs> labor is bad, baby. I mean <laughs> Right. <laughs> I got a bunch of small hands I can put to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for inviting me again. I really appreciate it. You know. Yeah, you bet. And um, Thank you, Paul, uh, for being on. Of course, yeah. And you keep doing the good work you guys are doing and keep leading the way and sharing these good stories. I mean, you know, I think uh, in these times, it's all, it's nice to see all of your faces, to be honest with you, you know, so. I mean, yeah, is we've, that, sorry, is that the, the moral of the story here? Is this sort of like connection and communication? I, I don't think it matters whether it's in your business or your personal or your family life. Um, just having, I, I mean, I don't know. I had a shitty day yesterday and it's because I didn't get on a zoom call with anybody just like seeing faces and, you know, having that sort of like beyond just phone calls. Um, you know, I think that for our brands, for our personal lives, uh, figuring out ways to connect and communicate. Right. I think, uh, I think it's even different than that. I hate to steal from my buddy Gary Vaynerchuk, but it's about caring, care about your customers, right? Caring about your employees, caring about your business, caring about your neighborhood and your community. I think it's a really, that fundamental. Um, and we haven't always done that. Sometimes we look at them as numbers, you know, as opposed yeah. to people. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and for me, uh, with you know dealing with Zoom for the first time, um, we actually I have a Zoom meeting set up Saturday with the entire Casey family that's in uh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Virginia, and Ohio. So uh, we're going to get together for an hour and just see each other. And then on Sunday, doing the same thing for my wife's side of the family. So on Easter, so even though we don't get to um, you know share a meal together, we'll 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 be sharing a meal, but we'll be talking on the phone or or our laptops or whatever. So um, I think this has been a, a a good experience to to get um, to get Zoom into my um, toolbox. I'm about to do a Zoom Seder tonight. Uh, yeah, I was going to say there's a lot going on and, um, you know, with, with Easter coming up. So okay. a good opportunity for people to, to touch base with each other. All right, guys. All right, guys. Well, you guys all stay safe. Have an extra glass of wine for me, please. Um, Cheers, Paul. And, and Have one of those three serving cocktails for me. I will. <laughs> all right, guys. Good to see you guys again. Thanks, all right. Stay safe. All right. Talk to you good soon. Good to talk to you, Paul. Bye-bye.